Hi, I'm Andy, and I like sharing my grandma's story. Do you like to sit around for a while? Found yourself a little pet crocodile. Do you like to just live in the moment? Do you like the stars and moon in the comments? What do you like, do you like? 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 Welcome to What Do You Like, the podcast where we get to know a person through their passions and hobbies. I am your host, Jeremy Zaha, and I'm here with a very exciting conversation with someone I've known since sixth grade, I believe. Um, we, if I'm not mistaken, and this person, when, when he jumps on, he'll, he'll correct me. I believe I worked on a project with this gentleman in sixth grade drama class where we talked about an invisible pen. Um, that's my first memory of this, this gentleman. Uh, but we went to middle school and high school together. Um, we're involved in some similar activities, but also kind of went our own paths. We ended up going to the same college as well, the Illinois State University, um, where through this gentleman's connections, I was on the cover of the local or the school newspaper multiple times. Uh, I'm going to say through his connections and also I'm very photogenic um, and everyone wants to see me. Um, that, that's what I tell myself to make myself feel better. It's positive self-talk. Um, and then also with the pandemic, we both bonded over the wonderful world of animal crossing where we try to take the horrors that were going on in the rest of the world and, uh, make them brighter with our, our little islands. Um, but today we're going to talk about something a little more important than, uh, making sure that we catch all the fish and put them in the museum at Animal Crossing. Um, we're talking about something very important to Andy, um, and Andy will talk more about it and get uh, give us more detail, but it's, it's about uh, his family and also has a very historical connection. Um, but without further ado, let's welcome to the podcast, Mr. Andy Steckling. Welcome to the podcast, Andy. Thank you. I totally forgot about that invisible pen. Just so many wind, like panes of glass breaking my brain, remembering. Yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting project. I remember it was you and the, the wonderful and amazing uh, Prabhu who will one day be on this podcast. Maybe the last episode, he's that important. He'll be the, the, the finale of this podcast in 20 years, whenever I finish doing this. <laughs> um, but I mean, to, to get started, Andy, who is our, who is our drama teacher? Oh, so I want to say Miss Werich, but I might okay. be a little bit off there. I don't remember taking drama in high school or middle school. Really? Well, I can, if you can remember the invisible, I think we called it the invisible secretary. Cause this yeah. was 2000. We were less woke. Um, True. but yeah, I like to, to, to jump in. Uh, also a quick clarification for the listeners out there. Mr. Zaha was on the front page of our student newspaper multiple times. One, because he performed with his world famous band, the Barbaloots, 
And two, I think there was another time where you were playing with an iPad in Tech Zone. Probably. Uh, and I I went and took that picture only because our photographers only took pictures of like people sleeping on the quad. So I wanted something. <laughs> no, I, I remember there's one other time I, you took, I don't know if you did it. This might not even have been you. Um, but there's one time I was on the quad with a giant uh, stuffed banana. That that would have gotten yeah. me for sure. Uh, so maybe mm-hmm. I was just a weird guy, and that that got me onto the the front. Um, but Barbaloot is definitely me though. Yes, but I, I technically am not even in the Barbaloots. Technically, I'm I'm not a member of the rap group. I'm a member of the uh, band, the musical band, um, Obama Nation, which we won't go into too much detail on here. Uh, something about coffee yes yes but enough about me enough about that we're here to talk about an important thing we're here to talk about your grandmother and Mm -hmm. uh, her place in history and what you're kind of doing to share that that history Um, Mm -hmm. so to start can you just give like a brief overview of, of who your grandma is and and why she is so important Sure. Uh, My grandma Harriet on my mom's side, my mom's mom, uh, was among the first wave. We were told growing up she was the first, but she was among the first wave of women to be allowed into the Marines. Uh, This was around, this was in World War II. She joined the Marines on her 20th birthday because as she told others, it was the hardest to get into and she wanted to prove she was a superior and strong woman and Obviously, she was because I'm here and because she's just a terrific lady. Um, but it was the, it was the hardest to get into and just the process to get in was grueling. She never actually served uh, at the time they created this women's reserve where they kind of did all the behind the scenes stuff to more or less free up a man to go fight. So they kind of did all the clerical, all the administrative stuff. So all the men could go overseas and fight. But she was in that first wave. This was 44-ish because she was born in 24. Yeah, she joined on her 20th birthday, served for about a year and a half, um, and then decided time to go home. Also, the war ended. So, Well, that, I mean, obviously a huge historical moment in Mm -hmm. the world. I mean... With World War Two, we kind of imagine it being like so long ago, but I mean, for a lot of us, it's two generations ago. Like we yeah. know multiple people that were involved in that war. Um, and I think as time goes on, their stories do start to fade a little. Um, I'm curious. So when you were a kid, how much mm-hmm. information was really shared with the family? Not a lot. She kept to herself. I mean, we had the same kind of two stories from her growing up um, that she was in the Marines. I didn't even know about her joining on her 20th birthday. That was found out uh, sadly after she passed. But um, where am I going? Oh, yeah. Uh, The same two. um, It might have been just the same story. She was stationed in Hawaii and they never gave them guns, but she was out on patrol one night and this was two, three years after Pearl Harbor. So all they had was a whistle and a, like a nightclub 
So if any suspicious activity had to come in, they had to whistle for help and then hit people with a nightclub. So we just had that story. So I knew she was in the Marines. I thought originally she was there like right after Pearl Harbor. So I get why the tension's high, but at the same time, I mean, three years after is still in that time frame. The world's still at war. Um, so it's just, I knew about that. Uh, so we knew those stories growing up. I'm sure my mom and her sisters or my uncle knew more of her service, but she did keep to herself a lot. She had memorabilia and we had her pictures of her and her uniform. But other than that, it was just the same story. Was, uh, I mean, obviously she was a, a part of a, a very select group. Um, mm-hmm. Did you know growing up that that was like kind of special that she was involved in World War II? No. Uh, I mean, I grew up in a, at, at that point when we were growing up, women were very prevalent in the military. So I kind of, I mean, maybe this is my inexperience knowing about this, but I kind of just assume women were always in the military. So I was just like, oh, she served. Of course she did. Every, if the world was at war, they needed everybody they could have. Um, but until I started digging into her story more, did I know that she was in a select group and this is when they only started. I mean, women had been serving in other branches of the military before that, but World War II is really where women got the respect and the door open to come in and serve. So when was it that you kind of discovered that this was like a unique thing and that your grandmother was special because of this? Uh, sadly, it took her death to realize this. Um, I mean, she, the last few years of her life, she had been battling Alzheimer's or dementia. Um, so I got an interview with her as part of a college assignment and she talked a little bit about her military experience. So again, we knew that, but it, she rehashed that story again. Um, after she passed away, my aunt Judy was going through her belongings, um, like un, just, I mean, going through clothes, going through everything. And then in this like plastic container under her bed, amidst all of the blankets and stuff, she had this folder and this binder. And then when we opened it, we found out it was letters she had sent home to her parents while stationed at basic training in North Carolina. And then at her, oh, I forgot the station. I forgot the base's name uh, at the base she served at in Honolulu, as well as the packet just had all of her military information, like her discharge letter, her application, um, everything like that. And so I scanned everything and make sure it had, I had a digital, um, just cause I don't know if it'd be lost to time or misplaced and digital, I can keep it forever. But then I started reading through it. I was just fascinated by the things she was telling. I mean, she did not hold back in telling her family what was happening to her, what she was experiencing. And I'd never heard of the women's reserve. I knew women served in the mil- or the Marines, but I'd never heard of this special reserve. And there aren't too many books out there on it. So that's when I kind of made the decision, hey, I want to tell her story. Not many people know about this. And people I've talked to about it are like, oh, I had no idea. Um, so I transcribed her letters. I have them on a, my desktop. And I've just slowly been doing research and discovering more of her story. 
I think that that's really interesting. I, I mean, it, it is sad that sometimes it takes someone to leave um, mm-hmm. for us to truly get to know them. Because, um, I mean... I definitely had a newfound like sense of respect for her like, after reading all of these letters and just knowing what she's gone through. Absolutely, because I think, especially with family, as we kind of put everyone in their role, like, oh, she's just my, my grandma. She probably gives you me cookies and like that's that's the role you don't really it's hard to fathom them in other realms and i think it takes becoming an adult to truly look at look at your your parents and your grandparents as like human beings almost yeah um but it is interesting that uh you took this one learning all this stuff about your grandma obviously was exciting but that the first thought was to, I want other people to know this, mm-hmm. um, which links back to obviously writing is a, is a, a big passion of yours. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it about this story that you're like, this is going to be my next writing project. Was it just like, I just, it's just a story that's important to me that there's not a lot out there on a little bit. I've always wanted to write a book. Um, I mean, I have a lot of notes saved in various forms, both on my phone and paper of story ideas of things I've dreamt, but I've never really like written like a full-fledged book. I mean, I wrote my first book in third grade, but it was like a five page story about a gorilla that escaped a zoo in Washington, DC. And I I more just stole the plot of Rampage and wrote it. why not work with what you know? Uh, But yeah, it was part, like I've always wanted to write a book part. Not many people knew her story and I just found it so inspiring reading her letters where I'm like, Oh, I need to tell other people about this. Like I mean, sadly, this generation is leaving us. There are still some people around there, but not as much as 10, 15 years ago. And I mean, I know we want to preserve this history while we have it so hopefully with her letters and with what research and other resources i can find i can tell the story what um what has your mom thought about this like is she excited about this or is she a little nervous about like family business being shared i'll uh my entire extended uh family for my mom is very excited about it um, I've received overwhelming support. They're like, oh, I absolutely write this story. I mean, obviously, if there are sensitive parts of the letter, like her dating history and stuff, where I'll omit it from final record um, and I'll clear it by them, like, hey, like, I mean, I'm not going to go into her dating history. It's not important to the overall story. But if there is something sensitive, like even talking about her decline over the past years, I'll make sure to run it by them and see if it's okay to run. And if it's not, I'm fine omitting it, just saying like she got sick and that was that. Yeah. I mean, and I think, I think that's always the the struggle when someone writes a book about family. I think some stories, the real story is that, that inner family struggle, but it doesn't seem like that's really the story here. I mean, the story is this, this strong woman who's like, I'm going to stand up and challenge the status quo. And I'm going to be, I don't know. 
do you think she felt like she was going to be a part of history? She never really approached it from that. Um, she just knew her services were needed. I mean, everyone was at war. You didn't know left from right. And she just always felt this need to serve. So, I mean, she didn't care that she was going to be part of history. She's like, I'm, I'm needed. I'm going. I mean, the fact she only really shared like one or two stories, like obviously it wasn't, she didn't gloat. She didn't like take pride. I mean, she took pride in serving, but it's not like she had to be like, hey, remember when I served in World War II? Like it was just, she did her time and then moved on to starting a family. Yeah, I think that it seems like a lot of the, the truly heroic people don't bring any attention to the heroic things they do. Um, yeah. Which is like the opposite of what we, what is glorified as superheroes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always interesting to, to when someone tells those people stories and you realize like uh, a, a true hero is not gloating about all the things they're doing. They're doing it because they truly think it's good. Yeah. Like she had plenty of stories and I've read a lot of them from her letters, but I mean, she wanted to keep highlights and, you know, just, I mean, uh, she kept the letters, so they were important to her, but it's not like she ever whipped them out and say, look at all the fun things I did. Like, she's like, I was in the military here, two stories. Boom. Yeah. Have some cookies. (laughs) I'm interested to learn a little bit about the research project and the writing process with this like what is the research like because you have these like first person sources are you are you reaching out to other people other women that serve like is it there there are a lot of interviews you've been able to get um one so far it's not from a woman who served um early on the pandemic definitely put a halt to a lot of things but early on about Two years ago, I spoke with a woman who runs, what is the name? She runs um, the exhibit on like women in the military in Washington, D.C. at the Smithsonian. And I talked to her more to clarify some things I had. I had questions about in my grandma's letters, but we ended up talking for like 90 minutes. And I mean, I did record it. And so I have to transcribe it and everything. But I did speak to her. Um, I did send her my grandma's letters because they have like a database, um, I think, of stories and hopefully want to kind of craft a web of intricate stories. Uh, I do hopefully want to talk to other women if they're still around. I mean, obviously, my grandma was 20 and that was 44. So she would have, I mean, she would have been 90 six this year um i think math uh so i do want to talk to women if not i think that could be a resource that uh smithsonian wing could be a resource if i talk to the right people i haven't spoken to that woman in a while i'm not sure if she's there or around anymore um she had some health issues when i spoke with her um but just doing that. And then there are some resources online uh, from older books or transcripts about it. Actually, one of the things I am waiting for uh, is my grandma's official military record. 
um, last February, I applied for it. Um, you have to go through the National Archives and they're fine sending it to you. You just have to get like a next of kin to sign off on it and they're fine sending it to you and everything. Uh, so it would be a more complete picture of her service, like things she did, jobs she held, kind of like a day by day, week by week career she had. Uh, but unfortunately, the National Archive shut down with the pandemic. And so normally it takes two to four weeks for them to turn around. And it's been about a year now, only because they've been shut. So I am waiting on that. And then this year, I do want to get a draft done. So I am hoping to maybe reach out to other women or to the Smithsonian again and really get other resources. Obviously, the biggest part will be telling my grandma's story, but I'll also weave it in with the history of this reserve unit. And if that includes interviews with other women or, re or resources from this museum, so be it. It'd be an added benefit. Yeah, and I think, I think that yeah, obviously that your the main story you're trying to tell is is about your grandmother, um, mm -hmm. but I think well more more about the reserve unit itself because not many people know about it, but also telling my grandma's story because of the letter she left. Sure, sure, and I here's here's a history, but also hey, here's how one person experienced it. Yeah, and and, and that one person is is the person you're you're passionate about, the person that I mean, the person you love. Um, yeah. I and I think that's where the heart of the the story will come from. Uh, but with that, obviously, you're there was some closeness. Obviously, she's your grandmother. Um, mm -hmm. Is it difficult to kind of look into all this stuff with it being so close to you? No, um, mostly because I think I benefit because she never really talked about it. So, I mean, if I dig more and I find out, obviously she didn't, she didn't commit a war crime or anything. She never saw combat, but I mean, it, it will be weird if I dig deeper and find out some negative things. But I mean, so far, the weirdest thing has been reading her letters and seeing all the dates she went on with other men, I'm like, but grandpa, grandpa's the only man. Like, what are you talking about? You dated other men. Like, Grandpa Ray is your one and only. So, uh, obviously, we mentioned she's no longer with us. Mm. What do you think she would think of this? She was very supportive of all of her grandchildren, and she always loved my writing. Um, from anything I did growing up in elementary, middle, or high school, or even um, my stuff with the student newspaper at ISU. Um, so I know she would be fully supportive of that. She'd be like, absolutely, go do what you need to do. Um, she would, I mean, obviously, I wouldn't see, I wouldn't have seen her letters, because I, I probably wouldn't even be telling the story right now without, ultimately, sadly, her death. But um, I mean, had she been more forward with those letters or I stumbled upon them, she would have helped me. She would have not directed me to other people because I don't think she kept in touch with anyone from her reserve unit, um, but she would have been fully behind it. I'm sure she wouldn't have been like, she, she wouldn't have stopped me, but I'm sure she would have been like, really, you want to tell my story? Like, no, like, like you said, they're too proud to 
like gloat. She's like, I don't know. Go tell other people's stories. Don't tell mine. Like, I didn't do anything. Yeah, I mean, and I, again, like that—that that shows like a, a, a truly selfless person that they. It's yeah. not. It's not about them, and it's about like the yeah. the the bigger, the bigger thing. They were fighting against the axis of evil. Um, yeah. And then obviously we found out later on in the war we're doing absolutely terrible things. Um, I am interested to kind of dig in. So obviously writing has been a passion of yours for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned how you had thought of some other books you were considering. Um, obviously is, is this is probably the first like historical mm-hmm. nonfiction book you were trying to put together. The first nonfiction book. Yes. What, uh, what, I guess with you already starting this, where do you kind of see your other writing going? Is this, is this like a new path you're kind of going to focus on in the more nonfiction or do you want to also write a lot of other things? I mean, I love writing all kinds of different styles, um, both fiction and nonfiction. So I don't know if I want to be defined as like a nonfiction writer, mostly because after this book is, inevitably done I don't know what other nonfiction topic I would tackle I mean I stumbled upon this one it's not like I knew from the get-go I wanted to write about it so I mean if I stumble upon another nonfiction-esque topic I'll definitely and I find enough interest in it I'll definitely pursue it but I do want to kind of just write whatever comes to mind be it from a dream be it from just sitting around daydreaming or just a prompt I get. So what do you really get out of writing? Like what is it, what is the, the motivation for just writing? Telling a story and just seeing how much I can use my brain create creatively. Yeah. Telling a story. Um, I like seeing how people react. I mean, I was different in high school. It was more, I was more reserved in high school. I submitted, I'd, submitted some things to our student publication circus. And I was fortunately on the selection committee as well. And so when it came time for them to read my stuff, I was was like in the corner cringing. I'm like, no, like, I don't want to hear it read out loud. Like, uh, uh." like it's kind of when you hear yourself talk, you're like, oh, like, no, why? And it was kind of like that for reading my words. Like I, feel like I can get stuff out on paper really well or the flow is really well. But then when it's read aloud, I'm kind of like, I mean, early on, I was kind of like cringy now. I mean, I haven't read really anything aloud in a while. Um, uh, the joy as well. Um, in addition to telling the story, it just, I just like to flex that muscle. Um, and just seeing how I can make a story go off the rails or, um, see the impact it has. Like I, I obviously don't know what this story is going to do, but I know from the people I've talked to about it, they're really interested in learning more. So I'm hopeful that, you know, inevitably when this is done, I can help tell a story that may not have been told, may have been lost to time, and just like make a small impact that way. Sure. I, I think like 
writing itself, I think, is such an important part of our society uh, mm. because it's it preserves the stories, whether they're yeah. nonfiction or fiction. I think uh, a lot of times, especially in the internet age, everything seems temporary. But like mm. when a book is written, at the very least, like somewhere there's going to be a physical physical copy of that book that's always going to be around yeah um like you can tweet something eloquent but then one day you delete your twitter account and then it's gone like once the book is published it's bound it's in ink there's probably more than one copy that's been published so it's it's out there like it's preserved that story until the last copy is lost if you think about it, throughout history, probably the most important thing that we have preserved in a lot of ways are written texts. Mm-hmm. I think that is where we truly understand, well, as best as we can, because obviously there's always that risk of, or not risk, just a, a fact that texts are written from a certain perspective so we're always going to lose the the lower hierarchy perspective mm-hmm. in any society that's like stored except for nowadays i feel like writing has become so accessible that we're able to kind of store all these different voices mm-hmm. um obviously if if you're a writer you also must read what's what do you kind of look for in a, in a story that you're going to consume yourself? Uh, if it interests me, I mean, I'm more on a nonfiction tangent lately. I don't know why. Um, just the past few books I've read have all been something that's happened in history. Um, but yeah, it has to keep, or it has to grab my attention and then keep it. Um, also strong character development or just strong flow for lack of a better term um like if it's not saying not saying game of thrones because i love game of thrones but like the first book took me a while to get through because it was kind of one character and then it would go to another character and then it would go to a third character and like it's just kind of different stories like banded together i mean i still read the whole series so i'm and watched the show but if something's got good character development, which Game of Thrones did, um, like I read a month ago, Ready Player Two, um, which I loved. I loved Ready Player One. Ready Player Two was still good, but it took a while to get into like the meat of it. So I wasn't as captivated reading it. Like I, Ready Player One, I think I read in like two days. Just it was one of those where I'm like, I finished a chapter and I have to start the next one. Ready Player Two took me probably two or three weeks just because I would read a chapter and I'd be like, all right, I can go on to other things. Like it hasn't grabbed my attention. It hasn't captivated me yet. And then finally, once it got to the meat of it, I was like, oh, all right. And that's when I plowed through it. But if it captures my attention, if I'm entertained by it enough, if it's got good plot, good character development, it's usually a book I'll read. Or if it's just a topic that interests me. Like right now I'm reading a behind the scenes look at Jeopardy. Interesting. Why not? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's very timely as well. Um, rest in peace, Alex Trebek. Um, Alex Trebek, 
$10 million a year for only working like 40 some days a year. I want that. Well, you'd have to be Alex Trebek to do like it. It wasn't yeah. like he was doing nothing. I'd have to be the man with all the answers. Exactly. Exactly. It's interesting, though, like you said, like a good story has there's there's a captivating aspect to it. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you look at writing or different books or stories with a more critical eye because you are also a writer? That's a good question. Uh, I don't think I look at it through any other lens. Other than um, if, I mean, obviously, since I'm also a copy editor, I look through, like, scrutinize a book if they have an obvious typo or a grammatical error. Like, affect, effect, if someone gets that wrong, I abandon the book. Like, oh, pet peeve. Um, but other than that, I mean, I know there are different voices, there are different approaches to writing. So I'm never one to just give up on a writer because they don't match how I would write. I mean, obviously they have a story to tell. I'm going to read it until they make an unfortunate grammatical error <laughs> like effect, or there's another one. There've been a, there've been a couple where I've seen some typos and I, it's not terrible. It's just like, but it's one of those where, especially when it's a nonfiction book, like how do you not catch that? Like, but luckily there, there's only been one affect effect recently. And that was just, I may have read it wrong, but just reading it, I'm like, I, I think they messed up. I think it should have been affect instead of effect, but. All right, are you going to put them on blast or you want to keep that to yourself? What? The, the book that made that error. I don't remember what it was. That's fair. I think I think I blacked it out. I could I could look because I think I texted a friend about it. <laughs> well, while you like, while you look, I I do have a sto uh, story about a bad copy editor. I was reading the auto autobiography of Bob Backlund. Do you know mm -hmm. who Bob Backlund is? He was a professional wrestler. He was um the WWWF world champion for like mm -hmm. four years I was reading his book as really interesting. The, the style that they, that he used was really interesting, but uh, about a little bit into the book, I noticed how there are sections where they do like a little side story of someone else. So like they'll interview someone else from their perspective of that point in Bob Backlund's life. To get like a multiple That's perspective. That's kind of what the Jeopardy is about. Yes. Too. It has that. Um, which I think, find really interesting. But the problem is the those are in like a darker shaded box. But whoever edited it didn't adjust when they made edits. So that mm -hmm. sometimes the regular story bleeds over into the darker box. And then sometimes the side story goes past the darker box. It's like as they added a sentence, they didn't reformat where that darker box was. And it completely mm. took me out of the book. Like I got through like three quarters of it. And I was like, this is so frustrating. And, it's, and it was disappointing because I really did like the story that was being told. Uh, so I can understand your frustration as an actual copy editor when you see a mistake like that. Yeah, it can really take you out. 
but I mean, yeah, it's just not like so much so that I'll throw the book away, but it's just one of those where I'm like, come on, like, I mean, obviously the, someone who's not a copy editor, someone who doesn't have decades of like English grammar editing won't like, we'll read it and be like, yeah, that's fine. I mean, look at the internet. There are yes so many grammatical errors all the time. So, I mean, it's just, it's just one of those where because you're in the industry, you see it and you're like, oh, I think I found the book, but I, I don't want to name it because it was on Obama's favorites from 2020. <laughs> and should Obama listen to this? I don't want to. Oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's listening. I'm pretty sure uh, most of the uh, Obama family are big fans of this podcast. <laughs> um, if, if you, you, you fake it till you make it. And if you, if I believe it, I'll achieve it. Um, but that's, I mean, I think that that's interesting and like just understanding writing from a writer's perspective and, and how you can kind of, how you kind of look at other people's writings as well. Uh, what do you think is the, the biggest takeaway that you've taken from a lot of these historical books you're reading now that you feel like you can use directly with the book you're writing about your grandma don't be it's um, a good question obviously tell the story don't just dilly dally don't dance around the point there i mean i have an outline of how i want the story to go but i know i'm probably going to find out one detail and be like oh this is so interesting let's write a whole chapter about it but just stick to the outline stick to the story you need to tell um obviously do more than what's necessary. You want to have more than enough. You want to basically cut instead of find yourself like with room to add stuff and you don't have anything to add. Uh, so just have more than what's necessary. So if they need to cut out a section, be like, yeah, that's fine. Like it, I mean, it's important to the story, but not as important as other things. Um, but just do your research as well. Like, I, I, obviously I can't write this story based on what I find on like two websites or a couple of resources. I'm gonna need to like make a long reference list and go from that. Obviously I can't do much with my grandma's side outside of the letters and then the record, uh, her official record, whenever that comes. I mean, I can talk to my family, but they don't know much more than I do at this point um, in terms of stories, but just, yeah, do your work, do your research, hold on to it and just make sure you're telling a complete story. I think that that's the idea of telling a complete story thing is super important uh, be, because I think, like you said, a lot of times it's easy to kind of, trail off into those like non sequiturs that you find interesting. Um, mm -hmm. But it is important to, to really hunker down and, and think about what is truly at the heart of the story. And I think it looks like you are leaps and bounds ahead on that aspect. And you're the place you're at right now to tell the story. I think it, it is perfect. Um. I do want to kind of to touch base on like what 
kind of advice do you have to someone who might have been in, a, in a, a similar situation? Like, what are some things that you, uh, I know we kind of touched on like writing techniques like that. What are some things that have kind of been difficult for you personally in this process that someone should kind of be aware of? Um, finding a good work-life balance. I mean, primarily the reason I haven't made a lot of progress on this book. I mean, it's been a few years in the making at this point. I started roughly uh, putting it together probably two, two and a half years ago. And it's just been, I, I should have more progress than I do now. It's just because I dedicate too much time to work. And I mean, it's also, my work is heavily writing based. So once I'm done writing, I don't want to write more. I mean, at least more nonfiction-y stuff. So trying to find a good balance to where, I mean, I just need to really establish goals for myself. This job's not going to go away until I find another job or win the lottery. Um, so I just have to set goals for myself, follow through on that, just find a good balance. You don't want to be just like a hermit right now and just like shut shutter everything out. I mean, I know we're all stuck inside because of the pandemic, but still find time to go have fun. So you kind of feel reinvigorated once you get back to the computer to write the story, be it fiction, be it nonfiction. Um, also do the, like I was saying before, do the research. Because uh, you can find one website that tells the complete story, but what if they got something critically wrong and then like you base everything you're writing on something that's wrong. And then you kind of have to go back to the drawing board on that. So just making sure you have all the necessary ducks in a row in order to, to write a good story, finding good work-life balance, um, finding new fresh ways to tell the story. Even if you have to like start off the day writing a prompt to kind of get your brain in that zone um, don't read, a, and someone's told me this before, don't edit as you go because you'll be your own biggest critic and you'll keep writing and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting to where once you're done, what you started is completely different from what you intended just because you read it and you're like, oh, this could be better. Oh, this could be better. And then just keep crafting it. Um, so just write like one draft and then go back and edit it and see where you can change things if something doesn't work um, instead of kind of stopping going, stopping going. It's a marathon, not a sprint. I think that that's really the key there. And that is a marathon, not a sprint, especially with uh, th this story specifically about your, your grandmother. You don't want to rush it. I mean, the story oh. is going to come out when it comes out and there's, it's yeah. not something that like, is in the news like this is this is a historical book and i think it's important i think for anyone who's thinking about starting a project like writing a book is to recognize that there there is no timetable unless you're like yeah. someone who works for a publisher and are required to write two books a year you don't yeah. have a, a set schedule i mean a, Unless you set one yourself. Yeah, I, I, there's no deadline I need to meet until it's done, really. Like, I want, like, I do want to establish a 
deadlines for me to meet, but I'm my own biggest procrastinator right now and just keep pushing that back. Sure. And and I, I think it's important for those that are writing and yourself to understand that that's okay. Um, yeah. Especially with like the pandemic and like all the stress that are brought on by that. Like, I think it's important to remind everyone like to, to cut yourself some slack. Um, but also view this time as an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's not going to be a, hopefully knock on wood. Um, there's not going to be an opportunity for everyone to kind of be stuck at home and to, to kind of be able to, to work through that. And I think, uh, especially by the end of the summer. Yes. Hope, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Knock on wood. Um, but I, I think it's it's just doing the things like uh, writing out uh, outlines and doing research now, like always mm -hmm. making progress. I think that's that's kind of the, the message to anyone who might be considering writing a book. Um, start there. And again, there's no until you have finished your book and you're bringing it to a publisher, there is no one that's going to judge your work. Like you can, you can make a ton of terrible drafts and no one has to ever see them. The, yeah. the, you should see my Google drive folder of the number of drafts I have for other like short stories or books is just like, no one's ever going to access those. Exactly. But it's important to write them. It's important to get that out there. And uh, I just think it, it's so great that you have found a way to express your your creativity through writing and, and like you said, use that muscle, um, mm. but also do it through telling the story of someone you love, your grandmother. Um, yeah. I think that that's a like... Uh, it's it's basically two passions coming together beautifully um and i'm so excited to see the final product when it is done we'll definitely on the podcast promote it like crazy when it's ready to come out um but uh with that i know you're not like a uh, social media maven um but if anyone has any questions on writing or the topic uh uh, about the, the the women in World War II, um, feel free to reach out to the podcast. Um, you can reach us at What Do You Like Podcast on Instagram, at WDYL Podcast on Twitter, um, or go to our website, WhatDoYouLikePodcast.com. Andy, it has been an absolute pleasure to sit down and chat with you. Like I like I say on all these podcasts, it, it's just great to, to be able to sit down and chat with a friend and really just to talk about something that we wouldn't necessarily talk about unless there was microphones in front of us. Um, Absolutely. With that, do you have any final words you want to share with, with the listening audience? Uh, buy my book when it comes out. I can't give you a ETA on that, but hopefully it's in within the next year to year and a half. Gotcha. Um, but other than that, Keep on keeping on. Perfect. And I guarantee you, I will. Don't be afraid to make friends on 
uh, Switch Online so you can get all your fruits for your Animal Crossing. <laughs> yes, island. yes. Although you kind of dropped off. I think I'm I'm the better resource there. Um, Jeremy is the better resource. I, I'm big into other games. If you, you know, what am I working on right now? Oh, Super Mario. There you go. So if you have any questions about Super Mario, definitely reach out to the podcast. We'll get you in touch with Andy as well. Um, Andy will get in touch with Google. <laughs> So everyone listening, if you have loved what you've listened to today, we do this every Tuesday. Um, I already mentioned the social medias. If you loved it, always love a five-star review on any rating platform you use. Um, And also, tell a friend. Uh, We always like having these conversations. Uh, Do not hesitate to share with someone else you think would enjoy this. Um, Always a pleasure to talk with you, Andy, to talk with anyone about their their true passion um and we'll keep doing it forever it seems but that's the end for the episode today and everyone out there we'll see you next time